Today, I will be reading Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. So let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And Boulder Church said, Amen and Amen. Well, one person said, Amen and Amen. I don't know. It doesn't really ring true for some people. It's kind of a, a complex text for some people, and yet for some people it's just straightforward. Yes, Amen. And amen. In fact, some people have it tattooed, and some people have it memorized, and some people have it so seared into their memory that they recite it every morning to their children, hoping uh, that it actually will follow through for them. It is uh, an interesting question because it causes uh, a lot of consternation for some, and it causes a lot of joy for some others as well. So I just want you to hold that hesitation 
and I want you to hold that uh, concern just a little bit, and I just want to introduce it because I see so many new people here today, and I just want to tell you where we are in this series and uh, where we're going to go in this particular passage. In case you haven't read the passage all week long, and you haven't listened to the podcast, and you haven't read the Daily Walk either, we are in a, a new sermon series today called uh, Followers of Jesus. We started it last week. And we were in the, basically in the final part of Romans chapters 12 to 16. And as I said last week, there are two reasons that I'm really excited about this. Two reasons. Reason number one that I'm excited about Romans 12 to 16 is because Paul, basically, as he comes to the end of his letter, starts to explain to us with really great new theology and, and applying the first 11 chapters how to be a follower of Jesus, the practical elements of how to be a follower of Jesus. Reason number two is because when we finish this series... It's going to be Christmas. It really is. And, and I'm going to start Christmas like a bit early, but it's going to be Christmas. And, I, I, you know, I love Christmas. I mean, I could celebrate Christmas all year long. Um, so it's, it's fantastic. And so this is really good. We're going to do a whole series. It's called Overflow because Christmas is all about the overflow and the joy of that. So I'm so excited about this. It is really, really good. So back to start in Romans chapter 13. And Romans chapter 13, as I said, is a really charged one, especially the very first seven verses. People feel so kind of excited about it and so kind of upset about it because there's just, what do you do with this authority inside there? The, and what does it really mean inside there? And this is what he basically, Paul, is saying inside here. The authorities in power are put there by God, all right? The authorities in power are put there by God. And if you reject that authority, you reject God. So why do we, why do we hesitate? Why do we hesitate? Is it because we find that hard to believe, or is it because we just don't believe it? <laughs> and is it because we just really struggle with this? And I think maybe it's because sometimes we, we kind of struggle with some of our political leaders and we, we kind of like wonder whether it's really fair to this. So, I, you know, I was, I was thinking about this and I looked at some of our political leaders and, and uh, some of our famous political leaders maybe that you are aware of. And here's one of them, I mean, that you, you could see and we'll have it here, Churchill. I mean, I picked you to be an authority. That's what Jesus says, that's what Paul's saying inside here about Churchill. And the reality is that when you think of Churchill, and, it, and for those of you who maybe didn't study Churchill as much as I did, because um, we did a lot, obviously, we had to. Uh, our history books in England are slightly biased. We didn't even know America existed. Um, but, <laughs> but when we studied Churchill, obviously, there are people who loved him, and there are people who hated him. Um, we would call the Axis powers hated him, and the Allies loved him. And in the country, some people loved him, and some people hated him. In fact, people were like, Churchill, how could he even come to power? But, you know, he did, and this is the reality. But, but what would you have done, what would you have done, and what would have been your relationship to his authority? What about this other one here that was chosen? Hitler. I picked you to be an authority. Hmm? You're not, now you're kind of like, oh, no, wait a second, I don't think the Bible really says that. I mean, well, some people loved him, and some people hated him. I mean, he did get elected. Some people loved him, some people hated him. And he did have authority, he did do some stuff, and he did some stuff that was a little bit dodgy, to say the least, to say the least. But he was picked inside there. What about, uh, what about this political leader? Hmm? I picked you to be an authority. Obama. You're like, who is that guy? Some people loved him. Some people hated him. Right? 
because he has, uh, he's an authority. He was picked up and he was elected and some people like said, yes, that's the one. And so what is your relationship to his authority? What was your relationship to his authority? Or uh, what about this one? I picked you to be an authority, Trump. I mean, some people love him, some people hate him, some people don't understand him, some people dream about him at nighttime and just fantasize about him. I mean, they think he's fantastic. And then you read the text and it says, but I picked you to be an authority. And here's the thing about this text. Under the leadership of the current uh, president, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, as you know, earlier this year in June, who is... I had to look this up to kind of gather all this kind of stuff together, but uh, he is the, basically the legal counsel, uh, the highest legal counsel in the United States. He basically said in June, he used this particular passage, and using this particular passage, he defended a very hard decision that the current government had to do about illegal immigration. What is your relationship to his authority? So, when we think about faith now, and when we think about political powers and how they interact with faith as well, uh, let me draw your attention to some of these that maybe you have thought about as well. And uh, here's another one. Uh, this guy here, Pilate. What do you think about Pilate when he comes in? Some people loved Pilate and some people hated Pilate. I mean, Jesus even said about Pilate himself, it quotes this in John 19:11, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. All right? So Jesus says this about Pilate. What would have been your relationship to that authority? I mean, there were people who were working actively against Pilate. And Jesus is saying, well, your authority actually didn't come from them. It came from somebody above. What about in Paul's time himself? As Paul is penning this, as he's writing this, there's this other fellow that came up, and his guy's name is Nero. Nero, I mean, some people loved Nero when he first started off. Some people started to hate him later on. I mean, he kind of got a little bit wild there towards the end. I mean, he's, they allegedly say that he's the one who, in, in fact, arranged for Paul to be killed. Some people hated him. Some people loved him. What is the apostle Paul speaking about, and what is his relationship inside there? And then when you think about religious leaders that we know of and within our tribe, if you're not some of the Adventists, this may not ring true to you, but I'll just explain a little bit of caveat inside here. But what about this one here? I picture to be an authority. His name is Ted Wilson. Uh, he happens to be the head of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so how do you react to him? How do you show respect to him, and how do you deal with his authority? Because some people love Ted Wilson, and some people can't stand his sight, right? So what do you do with that tension that happens inside there? How do you respond to that? Is that a little bit too close to home? Mm. Maybe, all right. What about, uh, what about this one here? I picked you to be an authority. What? Ah, I mean, ah, this, is, this, is, this is the one. Oh, now we're going to settle everything. Oh, yeah, I'm going to read this text so clearly. I really, I now know. Okay, because I was picked, I know. It's so simple. Now it makes sense, right? Because I was picked, and so therefore I decree. And if I decree, everything will be solved. No, I mean, this is, this is the tension right now. What is your relationship to authority? How do you deal with authority? Some people love Japhet, and some people love Japhet. I mean, a lot more. I mean, there's nobody hates him. I mean, 
Unless you're on a website like Fulcrum 7. I mean, just, I mean, that's, a, that's it, basically. I mean, and they're just lonely. Uh, so this is the tension that we have all the time. What is your relationship to authority? I was thinking of some lyrics of a song, and uh, I'm going to read them to you, and you see if you know them. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. You guys know this one? I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, but more, much more, more than this, I did it my way. Oh, don't you like leaders like that? That's the kind of authority we want. I did it my way. I mean, it's just not a really great tribute to Frank Sinatra, but you get it, or Elvis Presley who sang it. I should have had a liar come up here and sing it for us. Or, you know, that thing. But, but this is the thing. Romans chapter 13 is a very complex passage that has been misused and abused by many people for centuries. Misunderstood because of the context, and yet, at the same time, Paul is being absolutely serious here when he says that authority has been chosen, authority has been pulled together, and God is in his side, all of this, and we don't like it sometimes. And it's difficult for us, because we're like, ah, Japheth's in charge, I don't don't like that. Uh, Peter Chamberlain, he's the head elder, I'm gonna struggle with that. Actually, nobody's ever said that about Peter, but that's difficult. This is the thing that's difficult to justify inside this. And it's difficult because people justify all sorts of things in the name of authority. In 1859, 1859, a United States Marshal called Ezekiel Cox was brought up before his church in Ohio. And he was their member for 20 years. And they brought him up because this guy had actually gone and captured a guy called uh, Charlie. Charlie was a slave. And Charlie had escaped, and he went and arrested Charlie and brought him back to his slave owner. And this church said, slavery is not a good thing, and Brother Cox, this is not good what you did. But then they said, the law, the law, the law, the law. And so what they did is they excommunicated the marshal, but they let Charlie be returned back to his slave owner because they had to follow the authority of the land, right? So good old Charlie goes back and becomes a slave, and but they excommunicated. So this is how they dealt with authority. Romans chapter 13 was used all through the Civil War. The South in the United States would often use Romans chapter 13 to be able to explain to people and say, listen, the Constitution's being changed by these people up North. They want to change the Constitution. They want to abolish slavery. The authority has been set. We need to fight against this. During World War II, it was often quoted to pastors uh, communities are large, and they told them, listen, you need to fall in line. And the Gestapo would go to them and say, you will not speak against Germany, you will not speak against the Reich, you will not speak against the authority, because it is the authority. And they would quote Romans chapter 13 to them, and actually tell them, this is how we actually operate. During apartheid in the era in South Africa, Romans 13 was quoted, and they were told, listen, you have to believe, unrelenting call for blind, unquestioning obedience to the state. It's always so difficult. This week, I have had several people writing to me about the daily walk that I wrote. And look, I I wish I could reply to every single person around the world, to all of their emails, to all of their comments, to, and I appreciate all the, you know, to everybody's online and to those here as well locally, to to all the, the questions you have, the suggestions you have, the concerns you have and the observations you have. And, And I understand because it is a heated subject, Romans chapter 13. Um, I, I find it kind of interesting how there are certain times when, when you can turn around and you can suddenly say, oh, I don't know, uh, King George is an authority, but I think we'll rebel against that one. 
but, uh, but other times you can say, no, no, this authority, we won't rebel. So there are some tensions when you can kind of like say, you agree and disagree, right? And so there's this tension all the time. And I think it's because we don't know what to do with authority. We don't know what to do when we disagree with authority. We don't know what to do when we read in a text so simple, so straightforward in Romans chapter 13, where it says, God said, all authority, all authority comes from God. And if it's there, obey it, because if you don't, you're actually causing me harm as well. I actually want you just to be a different type of person. So I need you to kind of pull back with me a little bit on this journey, and I'm going to kind of pull you back to kind of the Duplo, uh, the big picture. And I'm going to remind you of Romans chapter 12, uh, because if you remember where we were last week, I think you'll understand Romans chapter 13 a little bit better. What we need, what we need is intelligent faith and genuine love. Intelligent faith and genuine love. And this is very difficult for some of us because we, we, kind of, we kind of place love on a really kind of like a, a small pedestal. Like love is just like really weak and, and, and silly and it's just a kid's thing. And faith is, oh my goodness, this is the academic stuff. This is the really hard stuff. And so we ignore both. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I need you to have intelligent faith and genuine love. And they go hand in hand, the head and the heart. And they have to be in sync. And when you have both of these, you'll actually understand that Jesus calls us to think and to love, that Jesus calls us to reason and to care, that Jesus calls us to question and to protect, that Jesus calls us to discover and to reconcile, and Jesus calls us to preach and to serve. This is intelligent love and genuine love, genuine love and intelligent faith. It is always calling us to a much higher place, a very difficult place that's really difficult for us to process. There is uh, the, the president of um, Southern Baptist Seminary, uh, Robert Muller, um, Albert Robert Muller, actually. He, uh, he came up with this uh, illustration, this metaphor. He said that he went into, and, and some of you know this, because when you go into an emergency room, uh, what they'll do is they triage you. And what they, when I say triage you, basically they look at you and they say, oh my goodness, you, you don't need any medical care for at least, I don't know, a week. <laughs> And you, you need medical care because you're going to die in like next 10 minutes, right? The problem is that when we go to the emergency room, we want to be treated straight away, right? How many of you have ever had to wait in an emergency room? Oh, yeah, you got triaged, like over there. <laughs> and because they looked at you like, oh, really? What a waste of time. You could have gone and seen your GP. I mean, you could have gone and seen your doctor. You didn't have to be here. Go, go get some NyQuil. Go away. <laughs> Right? But we go there because we really want to be uh, handled. But they worked out a system, and, uh, and it's a really good system. So this, this uh, professor, he said, you know what? We should probably triage our theology. We should probably work out a way to actually triage the way that we understand God as well and the way we understand church as well. And so he said, if we, if we did this, maybe we could actually handle some of the tensions inside here. So he came up with three levels. He said, number one, when you read the Bible and you study the Bible and you understand some things, some things are what we would say is, number one is, views essential to faith. These are like really, really important. They're views essential to faith. Number two, these are views that are important to faith and to the order of church, but they're not necessary for salvation, right? The order of service in a church, whether the pastoral prayer comes first or second, whether a kid's life story takes place here or later, whether the sermon happens now or before, does not affect our salvation, all right? But, I mean, God does talk about worship and how important it is, but believe me, you're not going to be lost. <laughs> 
if we change the order. Okay, all right, there you go. Uh, number three, views that may be treated with indifference, a matter of conscience, often called a deferred. I mean, this is, this is the kind of idea that we, there are things that we just discussed, there are preferences that we have. I, I, I know this, the, I told you a few of my friends this, but I worked in this church once where a person did, uh, a member in the church, actually did paint the entire sanctuary between one Sabbath and the next Sabbath, an entire different color. The church had paid, and we had actually got painters in, and I, I was the new pastor, and they, we had painted the entire sanctuary, and then he didn't like it. So on his own dime and his own time, he brought ladders, the whole lot, covered the entire church, and we came in Saturday morning. It was an entirely different color. Oh, my. Level three. Some people felt, though, that was more of a level one. It was more like a, essential for our faith. But, you know, and this is the tension, right? It, it, we, we kind of lose some of the perspective in there. Could it help us with some of the tensions in life if we could apply the word of God in this way? Think about it. When leaders come to, came to Jesus and accused him of healing on Sabbath, and they said, no, 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 he said to them, my understanding, my preference is that you do not do this on Sabbath. And he said to them, actually, I am going to heal on Sabbath. Did they triage their theology and put it all into number one? Did they? Yeah. They pushed everything into number one. Think about it. When we as a church talk about what is in and what is out, what is compliant and what is not compliant, are we, are we, have we triaged all our theology into number one? Think about our government. Why people who have been Republican their entire life, right, suddenly like, oh, I've got to become Democrat now. I'm like, really? You have to switch parties? Have you triaged your entire values into number one? Have you not worked out how to actually separate some of these things? Think about people who say that they love Jesus and profess to study the Bible, who won't be part of any tribe, right? They're like, I, I love Jesus and I love the Bible, but I won't join any tribe because they don't want any accountability. Have they triggered all of their, triaged all of their experiences into number one? Paul is no fool. The Jews have been kicked out of Rome. Do you understand? Which means that he says, look, I want to be able to preach the gospel, but they all got kicked out of Rome. You know why they got kicked out of Rome? Because they were constantly bickering against the government, against Caesar. So he says, look, if the gospel is not lived, if the gospel is not preached, if the gospel is not shared, if no one is around, then how are we going to preach this beautiful message? So he says, Paul is no fool. He says, look, you need to use your intelligent faith and your genuine love because it is important to share this. And when you do, you'll understand that the desire to know Jesus, to be able to share Jesus, this is going to be important for you. As you start to study the, the Bible, both the Duplo, the big picture, and the technique, the really small stuff inside here, you start to realize there are bigger pictures all the time inside the Bible. You start to realize there are amazing things inside it that I, I wish I could start to connect all the dots inside here. The problem is that sometimes we read just one verse and we don't understand the bigger picture. But when you read the whole Bible, when you start to understand the character of God through the Bible, you understand that he's peppered so many great things through here. He's pulling us to a better picture of who God is. When you start to see this, you, you, you remember that God actually is a God of love. And this God of love is actually not calling you just to pull one thing over here. You remember when Pharaoh told all the Hebrew wives, midwives, he said to them, I need you to kill all the newborn babies, the newborn baby boys, right? Did they conform? No, they did not conform, and they actually let them live. They disobeyed directly. They did not conform. When King Nebuchadnezzar 
when he ordered everybody to bow down to the golden image of himself, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not conform. When King Darius decreed, you will only pray to him for 30 days, Daniel opened his window and prayed even more. (laughs) And he did not conform and ended up in the lion's den. When the Sanhedrin told the apostles, you will no longer speak of this man called Jesus Christ. They said, we ought to obey God rather than man, and they did not conform. But here is the key to understanding Romans chapter 13 that I think sometimes we miss so often. These moments are not about defiance of authority. These moments are about submitting to Jesus. Do you see that? I think... I think um, the things sometimes that we explain and we say them so quickly in the sermon um, and we, we say them so fast that they just come in and they go out. We put them on a screen. I'm hoping you read them and they sink in. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you explain to your children, right? And you explain to them when they're really small, I need you to go take a shower. And they thought taking a shower didn't require shampoo and soap, right? right? So you have to, like, no, 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 go back again. Use shampoo and soap. And they come back, and you're like, no, I meant, I meant all the time. <laughs> you know, you have to explain it more than once, more than twice. So, or you tell them to go brush their teeth, and they come back, and you're like, no, 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 you have to use toothpaste and a toothbrush. It's not like you're, you're just shaking your head around and hoping. It's like you actually have to use them, the tools, they're real. Because you go up there, and you check the toothbrush, it's like it's bone dry. I'm like, how did that happen? Right? So, so you have to explain things more than once. So I'm going to repeat this sentence to you. These moments are not about defiance of authority. These moments are about submitting to Jesus. Romans chapter 13 is very clear. And there are moments inside the Bible when you actually understand authority exists, but you submit to Jesus causes you to be a different person. The key to unlock this in the world is for us to understand that Jesus is in the world. And it's all wrapped up in one particular phrase. And that phrase is, really simple, submitting to Jesus. Submitting to Jesus. This is very difficult for us. Some people, some friends of mine, they would actually refer to it as Jesus, full stop, all full stop. Mm, Kind of dangerous, I know. But submitting to Jesus, this is what it comes down to. Let me spell this out for you so that you kind of get this idea of what I'm talking about here. Jeremiah 29, 13 in your Bibles says this. It, it, they're in exile. They're in struggling inside this. And Jeremiah the prophet says this. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, when you're looking for me, you will find me. And I will present myself to you. But the difficulty is you have to remember that you are dead in trespasses and sin. In fact, Paul says this. He says your whole head is sick and your heart is faint. Isaiah the prophet says this as well to us. So this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we talked about last week, you have to be transformed. Your head has to be transformed. You have to be intelligent. You have to be smart. You cannot just read this and just say that one sentence without the rest of the Bible, without understanding what Paul is saying inside the context inside here. You've got to be able to do all of this and you've got to bring everything to the table. When it comes to following Jesus, do you bring everything to the table. Too heavy? Too difficult? Let me start with something a little bit easier then for you. Is there anything in your life, anything in your life, that you bring everything to the table? Hmm? Maybe too hard? Well, let me me ask you this. Um, What's the last thing you did that he took all the concentration 
all the effort for you, that you felt that you pushed really, really hard, and that was the moment that you grew in. The thing that you did really, really hard, I mean, for some of you, I can tell it was the gym, right? You're like, yeah. And for some of you, it was clearly not the gym. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. I know you're looking at me, it's the gym for me. It's okay, that's all right. For us, I mean, there are some things that we do, right, that we push really, really hard. For some of us, though, it's our family, it's our work, it's our hobbies, or maybe it should be our work, our family, our hobbies. But truly, are we submitting to Jesus? Look, I am tired, not physically, and I am tired, and I'm not mentally, and I'm tired, not emotionally. I'm just tired of people who have just lost all perspective, who just get ratty and mean with each other all the time, who say things all the time. I mean, we have no ability to triage anything in politics anymore. We say things that are just so evil about each other, about each other when it comes to politics. And when it comes to our relationships, we have no ability to triage anything with our relationships. So we, we're constantly, when we're talking in our personal relationships, everything's the number one. In politics, everything's the number one. In religion, in our faith, everything's a number one. We don't have the ability to say, that actually is a number one, and that's a number three. That's actually just a matter of preference over there. And so we're limping along, and we're just hurting each other. And while we're doing all of this, we miss the mission of what God has called us to do. We miss all that God is actually saying, this is actually what you should be doing inside here. This is what Paul was saying. There's a bigger story inside here. I need you to preach the gospel to the world. And so, look, be kind to the authorities, all right? If you can be kind to the authorities and, then, and you can be nice to them, great, because then you can preach the gospel. Why create antagonism unnecessarily? This is what he's saying. But I tell you this, if there's something, though, where it starts to affect your number one, then, then stand up. Don't bow down. Stand for the truth. Absolutely. Get on the bus and agree that it's not right and it's equal and it's important. Do the right thing. But please, for the sake of the gospel, do what God has called us to do. There's a really interesting story I want to end on today. And uh, you may have read this or passed it over many times, but it's found in 2 Kings. Uh, chapter 13. And I don't know if you have this, but uh, if you do, then uh, turn with me in your Bibles. This page uh, in your Bibles in the pews. Um, it's page 353 in your Bibles. 2 Kings chapter 13. And I think that this is an interesting passage because uh, it talks about a king who's uh, dealing with Joash, the king, and he's dealing with uh, the prophet Elisha. Elisha's coming to the end of his life. And, uh, and King Joash wants to talk to him one last time aside here. And so in 2 Kings chapter 13, he says this, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash king of Israel went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Look, take a bow and an arrow. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, draw the barrel bow, and he drew it, and Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. So you've got to just picture this for a second, where the king Joash is super worried. He's going to lose his prophet Elisha, and uh, he's got this enemy, the Syrian enemy that's hounding him down, and uh, Elisha's on the bed, and he just puts his hand on this king's hand. 
And then uh, it says here, and he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it, and Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, and the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, now take the arrows. And he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times, and he stopped. Then the man of God, Elisha, was angry with him and said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you have made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. This is considered to be one of the most awkward stories you could ever imagine, right? Because if he had just taken those arrows and just smacked them down five or six times, he would have had the promise that he would have obliterated the Syrian enemy that was coming to attack him. But because he just took it and just did it three times, one, two, three, Elisha's like, what's up with you, man? Why don't you do it more? Where's your get up and go? You could have taken them out. In other words, Elisha is saying to him, I don't think you have it in you. I don't think you have it in you. And if you have it in you, man, you could do amazing things. You could actually take them out. And God's saying to us all the time, you get distracted by all sorts of things left and right. Stop being distracted by the stuff left and right. Stop being distracted in your relationships, in your politics, in your church stuff. Be focused on submitting to Jesus Christ. When you focus on Jesus Christ, follow where He leads you. Follow where He leads you. Take the arrows and hit it five, six, seven, eight, nine times. Because He is faithful to take us. Are you with me? He is faithful to take us. The more we just say, ah, and we get distracted, by the one, two, three, we're going to stay in the mire. And God is saying, I need you to step up and rise up. Do not be distracted by those things. Rise up, take the arrows in your hand, and step forward. Paul says this in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves is the one who fulfills the law. That's our call from God.